Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza. This is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. Today, we are going to share the story about a family-style resort that inspired one of the most popular movies of the 1980s. I'm not going to give away the title, but if you are familiar with the movie that I am talking about, then you know the most famous line of the movie was said by Patrick Swayze's character, Johnny Castle. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody puts baby in a corner. If your family was a prominent East Coast Jewish family back then, like the Hausman family from the movie, you would always spend one week every summer at this kind of a resort. Well, the whole backdrop of that movie is based on a real-life Kutcher's Hotel and Country Club in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York. Even the name of the resort in the movie is based on the real-life resort. In the movie, the man who owned and ran the resort was Max Kellerman, who ran Kellerman's Country Club. The re- Back then, it was the players that voted for the MVP, not the basketball writers like today. Now, here are some of the downsides of Wes Sunselt. He was only 6 foot 6 or 198 centimeters, which is not a big deal in itself except that Unseld played the center position. That is traditionally the position where you play your tallest player. He was severely undersized for his position. He had to regularly match up with players like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Willis Reed, Bill Walton, Nate Thurman, Bob Lanier, and Will Chamberlain. All of these opponents were 6 foot 10 or taller. Unseld was regularly giving up 4 to 8 inches in height in nearly every game that he played. Another downside for Unseld is that he could barely jump. That means that he was not really a shot blocker. He was not fast, and as we mentioned, he was short. In his second season, he failed to make the All-Star game. I mean, the guy had just won the league MVP and could not make All-Star the following season. But the All-Star game is basically a numbers game. Back then, they only named two centers to each team at the All-Star game. That means that only four total centers were selected to participate. If you were not one of the top four centers in the league, or at least the top two in your conference, then you were out. Today, they have combined the forwards and the centers into a single category called frontcourt players for the purposes of selecting players for the All-Star game. Today, you could have no centers or all centers. But back in the 1970s, the center position was its own category. And this is why Unseld only made five All-Star games in his career. He had to compete with Dave Cowens of the Celtics, Bob Lanier of the Pistons, Willis Reed of the Knicks, and sometimes even his own teammate, Hall of Famer Elvin Hayes. Each year, only two of them could go to the All-Star game from the Eastern Conference. But the thing that he could do better than anyone else was to make outlet passes. Here is a quote by Red Auerbach, the legendary coach and general manager of the Boston Celtics. Quote, Wes was the greatest outlet passer of them all, the only one that I would rate better than Russell, unquote. That pretty much says it all. 
But let me take you back to the beginning of the story. Wes Unseld was born on September 10, 1948 in Louisville, Kentucky, where he was also raised. He was one of nine kids born to Charles and Cornelia Unseld. His father Charles was quite an athlete himself, having played some professional baseball in the old Negro Leagues and spent some time as a professional boxer. Like most everyone else that is fortunate enough to play in the NBA, Unseld was simply bigger, faster, and stronger than nearly every other kid his age. He played his high school basketball at Seneca High School in Louisville. He led the team to back-to-back -back Kentucky State Championships in 1963 and 1964. He was recruited by over 100 universities to play for them. He could have gone nearly anywhere he wanted. Well, not absolutely anywhere because of segregation laws that were still in place, but nearly anywhere. The one school that really could have used him was the University of Kentucky, the legendary program that was led by Hall of Fame coach Adolf Rupp. At the time, Kentucky had never had a black player on their basketball team, and some of the alumni were starting to pressure Coach Rupp to finally integrate his team and bring in at least one black player. Unseld was the player that they wanted Coach Rupp to go after, and it made sense because Unseld would not have been just a token black player who sat on the bench and barely played. He would have been the star of the team. He was that dominant. So Coach Rupp invited Unseld to the campus for an official visit. Now, this part of the story is a bit murky because it depends on who you believe. On the day that Unseld showed up for his visit, Coach Rupp could not be found. Unseld and his family interpreted this move as a signal that Unseld was really not welcome at Kentucky, and the official visit was really only to pacify the alumni. But Coach Rupp claims that it was an honest mistake and that he had gotten his appointments mixed up. Coach Rupp later called Unseld at his house to help clear up the confusion. During their conversation, Rupp never tried to recruit Unseld. He simply assumed that Unseld would choose Kentucky. After all, Rupp was used to high school players contacting him begging for a tryout. Rupp never had to go and chase a good player. The good players always came to him. He said something to Unseld like, quote, When you arrive here in the fall, there are some rules you will need to follow, unquote. However it went down, Unseld never connected with Coach Rupp and never felt like they really wanted him that badly. So, he decided to attend his local school, the University of Louisville. During his three years playing for the varsity at Louisville, Unseld averaged 20 points and 19 rebounds per game. He was a two-time All-American and led his team to an NIT appearance and two NCAA appearances. Now keep in mind that back then, to make it to the NCAA tournament was far more difficult than it is today. Today, 68 teams are given a spot in the NCAA tournament, but in 1968, only 23 teams made the tournament. Basically, only conference champions got to go to the big dance, so just making it to the tournament was a big deal. Well, this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with Unsell's NBA career. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, and let us continue with Unsell's professional career. He just finished a very successful college career at the University of Louisville, and it was time to move on to the NBA. In 1968, Unsell was the second overall pick in the entire draft by the Baltimore Bullets, right behind future teammate Elvin Hayes, who was picked by the San Diego Rockets. Unseld was also drafted by the Kentucky Colonels of the ABA, and that choice made sense since the Colonels played their home games in Louisville, and that was Unseld's hometown. Very rarely does a player get to play high school, college, and professional basketball all in one city, their hometown. But Unseld decided to go with the more established NBA and join the Baltimore Bullets. 
As a kind of a weird side note, Unsell's team changed names twice during his time with them. When he was drafted, they were called the Baltimore Bullets, but then they changed the name to the Capital Bullets for one season and then finally settled on the Washington Bullets. A big part of the name change was that they were literally moving to a new arena in Washington, D.C. Anyway, in his very first season in the NBA, he averaged 14 points and 18 rebounds per game. He was a beast on the boards. As I mentioned, he could not jump, at least by NBA standards. He dominated the boards by positioning himself and boxing out. He had a knack for seeing how the ball was going to bounce off the rim, and he got to the right position before anyone else. Once he got into his position, he was difficult to move. Physically speaking, in terms of his body shape, Wes Unseld was the 1970s version of Zion Williamson. At just 6'6", six six, he weighed 245 pounds, and that was heavier than everyone in the league except Will Chamberlain. Unseld looked like he came straight from a tryout to play left tackle for the Dallas Cowboys and then put on an NBA uniform. As I said, it was the outlet pass where he really distinguished himself. He triggered so many fast breaks for his teammates, and they all loved him. He was the kind of player that did whatever it took to win, and he understood how to win. He could set screens, play tough defense, make passes. Basically, he was the master of the little things. Those intangible moves that help a team win. He did not care about his personal statistics. The only statistic that mattered to him was wins and losses. And man, did he make an impact. The year before he arrived, the team only won 36 games. During his rookie year with the Bullets, they won 57 games. That's a 21-game improvement with only one significant new player. That is why he was voted as Rookie of the Year and League MVP. Everyone saw how much of an impact he made. Between 1971 and 1979, he led the Bullets to the NBA Finals four times, winning one of them. They lost in 1971 to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Milwaukee Bucks. They lost again in 1975 to Rick Barry and the Golden State Warriors. They won the whole thing in 1978 over the Seattle Supersonics. Then in 1979, they matched up with Seattle again, but lost. So let me put it this way. The Bullets, now known as the Washington Wizards, have never been to the finals without Wes Unseld as one of their players. But he also faced some adversity in his career. Even though he was never a dominant scorer, he averaged around 15 points a game during his first five seasons, but then he blew out his knee in season six in 1974. He still made it to one more All-Star game after that, but his scoring dropped below 10 points per game after the injury. Even his rebounding fell from an average of 17 points per game prior to the injury to just 12 per game after the injury. But again, because he was the master of the little things, he was able to contribute to the Bullets and be effective for many years because he could still hit that outlet pass like nobody else. He could set effective screens and pass within the half court almost like a point guard. He finally retired at the end of the 1981 season. Because of his strong leadership ability, he was immediately hired into the front office of the Bullets organization, serving as vice president for six years. At that point, he made a move back into the team in the role of head coach, and he coached the team for seven seasons, but had a winning percentage of only 37%. He then took the position of team general manager just as they were changing the team name from Bullets to the Wizards, and he served in that role for seven years, making the playoffs once. He finally retired completely from the Wizards in 2004 after 36 straight years with the organization as a player, coach, executive, and general manager. But he left a legacy and several different fronts. Unseld and his wife Connie opened a private school in 1979 for the underprivileged in Baltimore called the Unseld School. It has provided rigorous educational opportunities for kids who could otherwise not have afforded it. Unseld also had a teammate for two years on the Bullets named Stan Love. The two of them really connected and had a very strong bond. Unseld 
is the godfather of Stan's son. That son would go on to be an elite level outlet passer in his own right, just like his godfather. That player's name is Kevin Love. He is still playing today for the Cleveland Cavaliers. In one final area of legacy, the new head coach of the Washington Wizards for this season is Wes Unsell Jr. Now let's all wish him luck because there is nothing easy about coaching in the NBA. Sadly, Unsell passed away on June 2nd of 2020 at the age of 74, but we should never forget his contributions to his team and to the NBA. He epitomized leadership and the idea of being a team player. He was my kind of player. Yes, I believe that there are things in life more important than sports like family, friends, faith, community, but strictly within the context of the game, what could be more important than doing whatever it takes to win the game? Not all players see it that way. Some players are only into their own statistics, but I like players who are all about winning. Anyway, that is our story for today. That is our profile, honing their skills and getting better at Kutcher's each and every summer. However, as the 1970s rolled around, the Catskill resorts in general began to decline. Anti-Semitism had decreased and Jewish families now had other options for vacations. They didn't have to go to resorts like Kutcher's. Now they could go to Miami, or California, or even Europe. And another thing also happened in the 1970s. If you study population trends and migrations, then you know that during the 1970s, as air conditioning in homes became more common, there was a mass migration from the northern part of the United States to the southern part. Population studies show huge movements to Miami, Atlanta, Dallas, Phoenix, Los Angeles, and Albuquerque. This migration stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.